Tony Duchesne with you. Episode 92 of Drinks with Tony is why we're here. And July 1st at 6 p.m. Pacific time, I'm teaching a free creative writing workshop through the Los Angeles Public Library. Go to lapl.org to register for the free online workshop. That's lapl.org and click on the event page for 6 p.m. July 1st. And there it tells you how to get the Zoom workshop password. Again, lapl.org. It's a free online creative writing workshop happening July 1st at 6 p.m. And now let us conversate with a writer. Hi, everyone. I am Kim Dower, and we are listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Kim Dower. She's the author of Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's Grave, her fourth collection of poems out now on Red Hen Press. She was also the city poet laureate of West Hollywood from 2016 to 2018. Kim Dower, hello. Tony, how are you? Oh, you know, just I'm, I'm having a great time because I'm talking to you. If I wasn't talking oh. to you, I'd probably be a little more... Uh, depressive in this in this time of illness of pestilence i know i know it is quite a time it's we're living through a little baby plague you know it's, yeah it's, you know think about it in a few years we'll say remember when the plague was here yeah um i hope i hope there's something to music where there's just like there's a new genre of plague music that comes out and it just like blows everything away. It's like, Oh my God. Cause like the last cool thing that happened was hip hop. Like hip hop was the last, mm. we need, we need a new one. We need, we need like, we need, we need the plague music. I think. Well, I think we've got the plague music, which is silence. I mean, basically I've never heard things and the birds are nuts. The birds are going nuts. Yeah. Birds are nuts because they don't have us. They don't have so many people around. So all the animals are emerging. Like the squirrels think they actually own the sidewalk now and they're not afraid and the birds. And so I think the little music of animals will be the plague music. I like that a lot. And okay. I'm getting a kick out of all the birds. They're just like, look, we don't know what's up, but we're taking over and there's no one to shit on. I can't shit on anybody today. That's right. That's true. They are frustrated over that. Yeah, they're all like, I got to hold in my shit and there's no one around. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even shit on a moving car right now. That's true. But they do have a field day on my stationary car in the driveway, which is quite covered with their shit, as you so elegantly put it. But um, yeah. the birds, I, I'm happy for them. And, you know, I, I, I will also tell you, you know, there are wild parrots out there in L.A. Do, do you know about this? I didn't know about wild parrots. Is that more in West Hollywood area? Where is that at? Well, maybe. I mean, everything, we have more of everything in West Hollywood, especially wild parrots. But no, they're very green and they're, uh, they're quite intense. And so they're out and they're looking for, they're looking for trouble, frankly. Huh. Um, and so there's hawks and parrots. And every day around noon on a tree where my house is, they, they fight it out for the berries. It's like the sharks and the jets. Completely. Completely. Because <laughs> they're also singing too, right? They got the, it's like a musical yeah, gang warfare. They, they are in it for the long haul, these birds. Wow. They're Who not do you giving up. Huh? 
Who do you think is going to win? Who will well, win the territory? The parrots have been winning. Really? Yes, they have been. The parrots have been winning. So, so the Hawks are the underdogs right now. So I, You would think the Hawks would win because they're very big and they're louder than the parrots. But the parrots have that, that iridescent beauty that, you know, the Hawks are probably just like, okay, the berries are yours. <laughs> <laughs> you can have them. We didn't really want them. That's what the Hawks are saying, because the Hawks don't want to look, you know. Right. Stupid. We're just going to go to a lake and look for fish. You do that. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, uh, there are new, uh, subtle, but new, like, nature things that, are, that I notice during this time of plague. It's going to be so interesting, because it's like this weird shift in a lot of things where we, we're going to notice... It's it's just kind of blowing my mind. I'm really hoping human empathy becomes a huge thing out of this, where everyone just kind of goes, "Oh, I should be more empathetic to people," and um, I have a feeling yeah. we're going to go that way. I'm sorry about that, Tony. I hate to break it to you, but it's it's, it's it seems to be going the other way. And I, I I just well, here's the thing. I I I believe that whoever we are or were before we're just more amplified so if we were stressed or impatient or like come on come on where's my iced tea um it's just going to be a lot worse and people who are kind are always going to be kind you know but uh I, I i read this thing in the new york times today about uh these fights happening all over the city where people are just really angry and they they can't hold it in anymore like why aren't you wearing a mask oh you know? right yeah, they're getting, um, so that kind of stuff, I feel that. I feel little arguments are waiting to happen. It's, um, I think it's going to get worse and worse. Um, it's going to be so bad, Tony. We're going to be up there on the, on the roof with the parrots and the hawks. It's going to be us against them. Have you thought about where you're going to loot first when the riots start? It's a good question. That's really a good question. I, there's so many choices, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I would say Nordstrom main floor, but that sounds so sort of dull. No, that's pretty good. It's not bad, you yeah. know. I'd go straight for the Apple store, and then after the Apple store, then, oh. you know. Yeah, I wouldn't go anywhere near the Apple store. I don't want anything from the Apple store. Oh. I just yeah, Are I you know. PC? Not politically correct, but uh, what what what's PC stand for? Personal computer. Well, I love my personal computer. I'm using it right now to talk to you, and I spilled coffee on it on Monday. And if you want to feel panic in the time of COVID nineteen, um, I almost stopped breathing because you know we don't have our laptops, we don't have our life. But Knockwood. I did everything I was supposed to do and the thing is working, but I would rather not have any of these things in my life. I realize it's a necessity, yeah. but they all make me nervous. I always feel stupid. You know, well download this app. Well, I don't even know what that means. Yeah. So, I think I wish, I wish the plague would also wipe out Twitter and Facebook. I think that would make the human yeah. race a better uh, place to be. 
reading Facebook has been so depressing and demoralizing for me lately. I can't, you know, and I know that people just mean well, but I, uh, it's, it's hard to take sometimes. Yeah. The pictures of the cookies that people have baked, you know, I, why is that happening? Why do I have to look at people's baked goods? You know, Nobody, nobody's showing themselves crying in fetal position. I've been trying to get my selfie when I'm weeping and it's, it's hard to get a good weeping selfie. You're right. And you can't even have a friend do it now unless they're six feet away from you. Yeah. But I, I like that idea of wearing a mask and all you see the mask is just pooling with tears above here. Yeah. That's good. That's a good one. Yeah. I don't know. It's, uh, I've been writing a lot of poems though. Um, Yes. Uh, so, so is, does this, do you feel more productive or less productive now that we're in pestilence? I actually feel more productive. Mm -hmm. So that's an interesting, because I think also people are very divided. Writers are saying, you know, I can't concentrate. I can't, my thoughts aren't coming out. I, I can't do this at all. Um, and other people are really into it. I think it might be easier for a poet, not that it's easier writing than prose, but it's more condensed and it ends sooner because a poem is shorter than a novel and you don't have to remember your characters and you don't have to have that high concentration over the long haul. Um, and um, a poem is like dancing. The novel's like hiking, you know? So... I, You're talking me out of writing novels right now. <laughs> I can write a poem right now. But I, I, I'll think of a line or I'll think of an idea and I'll just get right into the zone, right into that fabulous poetry zone. Yeah, I'm, I'm finding that fantastic these days. And was uh, when you were younger, because I, because I, uh, I know you went to Emerson and you also taught at Emerson, right? Yeah, for a little while. Yeah. Were you um? What were you thinking when you were younger? You're like, you know what? I'm going to be the, the poet laureate of West Hollywood or. Yeah. What, what? I, was, I was the poet laureate of my family of four when I was six. <laughs> yeah. So I, or actually I was the poet laureate of my bedroom. Yeah. And um, all my dolls were forced to listen to my little poems. Seriously. I had a lot of dolls and I put them all in the position of sitting and listening. I was very bossy little girl. My mother tells me. It's one of the myths because I can't imagine having been bossy. But anyway, um, I, of course not, never imagined that, but it was a lovely thing. It was a really nice, uh, fabulous two years that I, I enjoyed. Oh, yes. you're uh, I was back when you were six years old. And I was oh, like, yeah. it only lasted when you were eight. <laughs> It, those were the best two years of my life, especially seven, you know, when I fell off my bike and broke two teeth. But, um, you know, being the poet laureate in West Hollywood was, it was, as people say all the time on Facebook, uh, an honor. It was an honor. But that really, <laughs> that really was an honor. So what, what are your responsibilities when you're in that position? So I had to... Um, find ways to bring poetry to the community. And, and I had projects that I had to do, a few different projects. And basically they gave me carte blanche, like come up with these ideas and we'll 
will help you with them. And I've never, you know, the city of West Hollywood, you know, they have their own mayor and city hall and everything. And these people were the kindest people and the most generous uh, with, if you had an idea, they were there for you. And um, the, one of the heads of the arts council, whatever his name, Mike Shea. And he, um, I called him my poetry boss which was really cute. And he loved that. And he was, so I would go to him with an idea and he'd say, do it. So one idea, and I did it both years was to do a collaborative poem with people from West Hollywood. So I had a long sheet, like a document, which introduced myself and it had prompts and the prompts were, I live in West Hollywood because I love West Hollywood because, you know, a few different prompts and they made all these pads for me and with the official city symbol. And uh, I went all over the place. And it, and it may not appear that way, but I'm, I'm actually a shy person, believe it or not. So I, I had to make, you know, have to talk to strangers. And so I would go to Book Soup, spend a lot of time there. I would go to the yogurt shops. I'd go to the bars. I would go all over West Hollywood with my document. And I'd be, you know, like, hi. I'm the poet laureate of West Hollywood. And a lot of times people literally turned and walked away from me. Like, <laughs> why? Is she, I was like, why is she bothering me? But half the time people say, oh, and I'd say, would you fill this out and write first thought, best thought, whatever comes to your mind. And then give me your name and your email and your permission to use it in a collaborative poem. And I had about 200, 250 of these. And I typed them all out and I made a poem out of them. And uh, the poems were fabulous. You can go on the website, City of West Hollywood website and see the collaborative poem. And they made posters and we sent the posters all over the country to libraries and schools. They even um, animated one of the poems huh. called I Sing the Body West Hollywood. It was after the Walt Whitman title. I Sing the Body West Hollywood. And uh, they, they animated it, and I did the voiceover for it. So that was a project, and it was fantastic. How fun. Yeah. Oh, was fun. Uh, see, you know I grew up a Jehovah's Witness. So when you were approaching people with the poetry stuff, I, that's, my life was approaching people with watchtowers in my Bible. Oh, my God. So, um, and, and, a lot of, and when it was like a beautiful woman, and I was, you know, 19 years old, and my heart <laughs> was breaking, and I'm sitting there going, oh, this is my approach. The only way I can be with her is if she uh, becomes a recruit and becomes a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, Not to wow. make it all about me, but all I'm trying to say is I get the disappointment when people ignore you and walk away. Yeah, it. because of course you take it personally because it is personal, even though they don't know you. It's, um, <clears throat> it's a weird thing. But when I was in Book Soup, for example, well, you know, look, when you ask somebody, do you like poetry? there's a question you don't want to ask and you don't want to hear the answer when you're a poet. Really? So most, yeah. Cause what, they just say no. Yeah. You, yeah. They oftentimes people will go poetry. Now when you get someone who, who does like it, you know, that's obviously a wonderful, but uh, it's a tough one. Huh. It, it's, 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 listen, you, um, a lot of people are taught 
that poetry is something only for certain people, that it's difficult to understand, that uh, they're not intelligent enough to get it. You know, when we're in fifth grade and they hand us uh, the Robert Frost poem, uh, The Road Not Taken, and, you know, they call on you and say, what does it mean? And you don't know. They take the playfulness out of it. They're sucking out the playfulness and the creativity. Yeah. Of, and that's what I, it drives me nuts. Like even the, even the reading, yeah, even the, you know, it's like, let's examine this poem. And this poem means nothing to anyone who's 10 years old. Yeah. Just, let's, let's ruin you for poetry for the rest exactly. of your life. Exactly. Let's ruin you for poetry. And I had one of the other honors. I mean, there, there were all these wonderful opportunities. I had great opportunities. So teaching little kids a poetry class was, after I did that, it was like, sex after the first time you have sex or so for some people the first time you get high or whatever that experience is like then how did I was weeping and depression but go ahead <laughs> how do I go on with my life without having this again <laughs> and teaching a fifth grade class it, it was just I was literally floating and I thought after that I've got to figure out a way to make that happen in my life because as poet laureate, I taught and still do when this whole thing is over a free poetry class at the West Hollywood Library every Saturday morning. Oh, fun! Yeah, it's great, and everyone you the Los, Los Feliz Library once a month. You do? Yeah, I've been doing that for a couple of years. We're online now, but the first Wednesday of every month, I've been teaching a free creative writing workshop. Oh and my god, it's fun, right? It's a blast because you have no yeah. idea who's coming. Exactly. And you got to work a room that might be hostile. And you, or, you know, I've had to tell people to be quiet. I'm like, shh, shh. it's her turn now. And these people are adults. <laughs> I know. I yeah. know. I'm with you right there. It's fantastic. Yeah. It is fantastic because it's not like a class where everyone has to be there. They sign, you know, and they're getting graded and they're all one age. But like you're saying, that the group in West Hollywood, I have everybody in there. <clears throat> from you know young very young people to 80 year olds yeah and just like you're saying i've had to break up fights you know just go <laughs> and it, and you use your people skills i can tell you that but yeah. uh, <clears throat> anyway so there was a, and i and i don't know who anyone is i mean i don't know who they are i don't know what this person does or whatever and there was this woman who came to it every week i'm very bad with names anyway like six months later, I see her at the post office, the Bicentennial Post Office on Beverly Boulevard. And we're looking at each other. And she goes, Kim, how are you? Hug, hug. Now we can't hug people. So sad. But anyway, we're hugged. And, and I'm like, God, who is she? Who is she? Who is she? And, and she goes, oh, I miss your class. So, oh, she's in my class. So I said, oh, I miss you too. And I said, what are you doing over here, Bicentennial? And she said, well, I teach around the corner at the Hancock Park School, Hancock Street School, whatever. Anyway, long story short, I said, oh, my God, you're a fifth grade teacher. I'm ch I have chills because I think teachers are amazing, especially little kids. And she invited me to come to her class. Oh, how fun. And these children, I gave them prompts. And let me tell you, Tony, I should have done a collaborative poem with them. I wanted to. So the lines they give you are amazing. Their imaginations are amazing. Yeah. And you tell a fifth grader, you give him a prompt to write five lines 
and four of them are lies and one is true and it's amazing what you get that's fantastic that is so much fun and i remember this was years and years ago when uh, i was taking like screenwriting workshops and you know people were like when you have a story idea for a novel or for a screenplay um talk to get your like get a niece or nephew who's like about 12 11 12 years uh-huh. old and t- and tell them about it and they will tell you right away no that's boring or that's good that'll work and they're like the, the, you want to it's like you want to tap that creativity that yes. beautiful age where they're still just it's not shut down and the honesty the dead honesty is right there and it's just so magical it is really magical and it's beautiful to watch the purity with which their ideas form and the joy and the excitement because you're not testing them it's not what does this mean right it, it means whatever you want it to mean. And I read the, you know, the, the William Carlos Williams poem, So Much Depends Upon a Red Wheelbarrow Glazed with Rainwater Beside the White Chickens. So that's a poem you always look at and dissect. What does it mean? So I, I handed it out and I said, what, what do you think this means? And they were afraid at first. Yeah. And I said, no, no. Any meaning that you give this poem is what it means to you. And then the things they came up with, I was like writing them down just to steal them for like teaching adults. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought about that, what it meant. And they go into these elaborate, adorable explanations like, well, he needed the wheelbarrow because his family was starving. And at the real, you know, and, and they go into these plot lines and all this great stuff. It's, that's where we all have to go back to when we're writing, you know? We got to go back to the playful self. And that, and that it drives me crazy when, you know, when people put writing, um, uh, you, have to be the, you have to be intellectual in order to be a writer. You have to know, you know, you have to have read this, this, and this. Or, and, it, and it's just like, no, it, it's like you said, what does it mean to you? I like to, I, I, would, I would like to think like, how do you feel when because that just put that it's what we what we take away even from novels from poems even from movies we all have our own we bring our own baggage to it it's rad because our relationship it uh, what we bring to it and then we read it and we're like oh this means everything to me and someone else will be like this doesn't mean a thing to me and it's just there's beauty in that there is and i mean you hope that your work means something to somebody but it is true that once you start asking people what do they take from your work you will get a lot of different takeaways. Yeah. Uh, and I think poems are particularly like that because they are often, they're, they're not puzzles, but there is what the poem means and then what else the poem means, you know? Yeah. And, it, and then what, have you found like once, have you found like people reading into your poetry and they come up with amazing things you didn't even think of when? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Totally. And I, I, you know, I took for years and years and years a workshop right in, uh, it's a wonderful workshop, Writers at Work, Terry Wolverton does it, and it's in Silver Lake. Uh-huh. And I just went back for a month because I wanted that recharge. But you read a poem that you're working on, and the first question is to the class, uh, what meanings do you take from this poem? And that's something I want to know, because I want to know if so-and-so thinks it's a poem about hating your mother 
or someone thinks it's a poem about not being able to find your socks, you know, I want to know what meanings people are taking and I write down what they say. You're not a part of this. You just listen as the poet. But it's amazing the different things that people decide your poem means. Now, it's up to you how, how important that is. Like, if people are getting the wrong meaning, you may have done not such a great job conveying what you wanted that poem to convey. But you'll walk away with so many different opinions about that poem that eventually, for me, I just didn't want to hear anything else. I was just on my own at that point. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah it's, I, I get a kick when people find things in uh, my work and they, and they like, they've go to like, Oh, I know. I love how you referenced blank, blank and blank. And I'm like, I don't even know who they're talking about or, or it's an author I never read, but it's, yeah. yeah. And I'll just like nod and go, thanks for noticing that. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That that's, that's funny. I mean, and that, and that does happen. I don't care. I want people to feel something when they read my poems. Yeah. I want them to feel a lot of my poems are funny and people don't really get the joke, you know, and that's okay too. They can feel, they can feel something, but I have always been on this cause to make it clear that poetry is not autobiographical, mm -hmm. which is what everybody seems to think it is. And that comes from journal writing. You know, I write in my journal. Well, poetry is not journal writing. It's a craft, you build a poem, you make choices, you edit, you know, etc. So I've written a lot of poems that people think that's really who I am or the truth or something I did. Oh, right, yeah. And I've decided there's nothing, <clears throat> there's nothing I can do about that anymore. You know, I, I, one of, an old poem from my first book is called, uh, They Took the Mailbox Away. And, um, from Coenga and Clinton. And it's a poem about the things that this speaker in the poem used to put in the mailbox. And in the poem, it says, I once threw a half-eaten ice cream cone. And it's true, I shouldn't have done that. And I list all the things that happens as a result of doing that. And after a reading, someone came over to me and she said, well, you know, I really like that poem, but honestly, how could you do that? <laughs> how could you just throw an ice cream cone in the mailbox? And she was disgusted. That's funny. That's like writers writing about like, uh, you know, if you write a murder mystery, you're, yeah. it's like you're not a murderer. Right. You don't have to go research how to murder people. But exactly. No, exactly. And that's what I say. Nobody goes up to someone who, you know, has these elaborate ways of murdering people to say, how could you do that? Right. But a poem, because it's personal, because it has this very emotional component and it seems so personal uh, that people think you're just bearing your soul. Yeah. And, you know, that's why we have personas mm -hmm. and that's why we make things up. So that's good fun. How do you, how, how do you apply to become poet laureate of West, like West Hollywood? How, what, what do they, how does that happen? Just in case someone else wanted to get in that. Well, absolutely. There's a website. First of all, they do like it when you live in West Hollywood. Oh, okay. I'm out. Ah, I know, <laughs> but mm, that's the killer. Um, but 
if you do a lot of, or if you work in West Hollywood, if you, if you have something to do with West Hollywood, if it's not an address, then uh, it's your office, or maybe you have a client who's there. I mean, there has to be enough of a connection to West Hollywood. Yeah. That's number one. And then on their website, there, it's an application. Okay. So it's, uh, you write an essay, why you want to do it. Um, you have to show your work. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a panel of judges who read your work. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to have a book out. I'm sure it doesn't hurt, but you have to be a poet with published work that is going to get looked at. You have to have a connection to the city and an essay about why you want to do it and ideas of what you'll do as projects if you, if you get that. So what, was, so what was it like when you found out that you were selected? What was that day like? I, I, was, I was happy. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you, um, I'm the second poet laureate of West Hollywood, only the second. So the first poet laureate of West Hollywood is a poet named Stephen Rains. Are you friends with him now? I am friends with him. The poet, if you're both poet laureates of West Hollywood at some point, everyone, do you have a poet laureate dinner once in a while? Well, there's a third one now after me, and his name is Charles Flowers. And there was um, a little Christmas party at some point a year ago, and the three of us were there, and someone took a picture, and it's a very sweet picture. Um, so Stephen Rains was the first one. Yeah. And he set the bar high because Stephen is a big community guy, does <clears throat> workshops all over the place, was very active and wonderful. And we knew each other from readings and from, from the scene, as, as you'd call it. Yeah. And um, so when it came time for, for him to be replaced, he called me. He was very sweet. <clears throat> and he said, you should apply for Poet of West, you know, Poet Laureate of West Hollywood. And I said, oh, well, they'll never choose me, or I don't want to, or I don't know. Application on, on, online, you know, I don't think I can do that. Anyway, he was very generous and helpful, and he coached me, and he said, just do it. Yeah. Uh, and I did it. And they, you know, they picked me. So, um, so what was your celebration when they picked you? You go, oh, my God, you're kidding me. And then, like, what heavy drugs did you do? Well, I'm not a heavy drug taker. I'm a, I'm a two shots of vodka taker. Did you do, did you do three shots then? When they- I didn't do three because after two, Tony, it's just, it, I wish I could have more fun. But I get, you know, I go from giddy to numb in two drinks. You know what I'm saying? When you're, now, not to get off of the poetry thing, but when you're doing a vodka shot, is it ice cold or is it warm? Well, I don't do a shot. I mean, now I'm going to sound like such a lightweight. I, I like like vodka in club soda with a lot of ice and lime. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, a, I'm a vodka club soda guy, too. Love that. Yeah. It's simple. It's clean. You know, there's no sugar involved. The tonic is gross. I, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to gross. do tonic. Now I could take it just tastes like plastic to me. It's, it's a horrible thing. I don't even understand it. So vodka club soda is clean, lovely, refreshing. Now, if I sip it, that's lovely. If I just guzzle it, there's a whole other feeling, right? So I think I might have done a guzzle that night, you know. But the the, the truth is... um, So 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 becoming a poet laureate to celebrate, you do a guzzle. 
on vodka, club soda, and wine. It was probably a guzzle. I would uh, say there was a guzzle involved. <laughs> there, there might have been two, a guzzle and then a, and then a sip, a slow sip. Oh, the guzzle sip. I've heard the of that. Guzzle sip. It's sort of a hybrid. Right. You know? it, it, it's enough to get you high, but you can still function and right. eat a meal without like dropping dead. Yeah. But um, so the thing is, the city of West Hollywood is so into celebration and pageantry and all mm -hmm. that they really made it special. I mean, I'm telling you, I was like Queen for a Day, that old TV show. You know, I'll say my age, I won't. But it's like, you know, where they literally, you know, like you get the washer, dryer, and all the furniture, and they put the cape on you, and, you know, um, and then they unveil the Corvette. And so they, they just really went all out. Wow. And so, yeah, I went. Um, they have uh, meetings, you know, every week. What are they called? Committee meetings, uh -huh. West Hollywood meetings, whatever. And it's in the beautiful, um, in the library, in this beautiful auditorium. And they're all sitting there up on the dais and, you know, and they honored me with a, with a plaque and all kinds of things. And I read a poem for them. Wow. I wrote a poem. I think. Where do you keep the plaque? Well, I have several plaques now, Tony, because it was two years worth of, I'm in my office right now and I, yeah. I have a couple here. And then at home, uh, I have my upstairs, which I call, I hope this isn't offensive or upsetting, but I call it my poetry palace. I thought you were going to say the N-word. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Where would that fit in? <laughs> you just oh said, God. I hope this isn't offensive or upsetting. No, I'm like, no but I mean, it's just it sounds, like, <laughs> it sounds like a Facebook thing, my poetry palace. You know, just yeah. saying it out loud is embarrassing. Oh. But that's what I call it, you know. <clears throat> and I have a lot of my plaques up there, but they give you honors, they give you certificates. And then um, they sent the West Hollywood Magazine, which I, I wasn't even aware of. They came here and did an interview and did a photo shoot. You know, I mean, I didn't get the expense paid trip to the Bahamas, but it felt like I was going to, you know. Who wants to go to the Bahamas? You're in West Hollywood. I'd rather hang out in West Hollywood and do poetry stuff. <laughs> Bahamas just sounds cliche to me, you know. Well, okay, there you go. I was, uh, it, was a, it was a very fizzly two years of, you know, getting to speak to kids and teach these classes and write poems and do collaborative poems and... Um, oh my God, there's a billboard still. There's a, um, a theater on Santa Monica Boulevard across from Gelson's right there in West Hollywood with the marquee, <clears throat> excuse me, the Coast Playhouse. And they actually have two or three lines of my poetry on that billboard that they haven't taken down yet. Oh, that's so fun. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, they, they honor poetry. They honor the arts. Yeah. It's a great city. On um, truly, that's fantastic. Now, what landed you in West Hollywood? Because you're not you're not from this side of the uh, the continent, right? No, I'm not. I'm from the I'm from the island Manhattan. Um, Yo, oh, you lived actually. You grew up in Manhattan. I did. Oh, I'm a New Yorker God. from, from Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. Was it like your uncle Richard Hell? <laughs> what? What? Was your uncle Richard Hell and? Um, Everything I think, you know, all the glory days of, uh, you know, Alphabet City and all that. Yeah, well, those were, 
I don't know how glorious they were, but I certainly do remember Times Square before it looked like Disneyland. Yeah. That way. I mean, I, uh, you know, The Deuce. Did you watch that show? Um, no, I didn't, but I know the show. Yeah. Yeah. So they did, did they a great a good job. On it? Yeah. I mean, recreating what that looked like. It honestly did look like that. And, you know, I would take the bus down there and, uh, you know, get proposition. I mean, it, it was another land. I mean, that was that city. There's not a minute where I don't think I was lucky to grow up in the city of New York in Manhattan. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it was a great way to grow up. You know, I, I had Riverside Drive down the street. I had Central Park, four blocks, you know, east. I would literally ride my bike to the two parks before wow. you had to wear a helmet. You know, I mean, I could have been dead in like one second, but, you know, we didn't yeah. think about that then. But just the access you had as a kid growing up to so yeah. much rich culture is, uh, that, that had to be amazing. It was amazing. I mean, of course, when you're living that and that's all you know, you don't think that this is amazing. It's right. not until you get out in the world and you see other things that you think, I had that. But it's interesting because, I mean, this was in the 50s and 60s, and I would go to a sleepaway camp in upstate New York, or I would go someplace in Connecticut or New Jersey, as we call the tri-state area. Mm -hmm. And little friends that I would meet were not allowed to come visit me in the winter, like, because it wasn't safe. You see, wow. all of those girls have grown up and they're all living on the Upper West Side now with their own families, you know. But back then, um, it, it was considered dangerous. I mean, I lived on 89th Street between West End and Broadway, and uh, people couldn't believe you lived there. I couldn't believe that people lived in houses with basements and things like rec rooms, you know. <laughs> I mean, I would visit them and think, that this is amazing you know the suburbs to me i didn't get that yeah so in a way i was sheltered in a whole other way yeah um and it wasn't until i left new york that i understood oh you could grow up in a house yeah wow yeah you can have your own grass that, that's weird when, so what brought you to uh the los angeles what brought you west coast you know what brings everyone uh you know the heroin but yeah the, the drugs and no but i i listen i uh, was so long ago but <clears throat> i had left new york city i was going to i went to college in boston like you say before emerson college i was mm -hmm. teaching creative writing poetry there and it was not the life for me at all um that sounds like a song from a disney movie Hope not the life for me, right? I had, there's this band called D.I. from uh, Southern California, and they had a song called O.C. Life is Not the Life for Me about Orange County. That yeah. in my head right away. Well, Boston, you know, beautiful, lovely, enchanting, mm -hmm. but completely, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, Tony? Um, when they see everything... It, it felt very small town to me. I, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, Boston is, is, is culturally fabulous, beautiful city, all this, but number one, it was too freezing. Yeah. Number two, got dark at four o'clock, which was definitely not the life for me. Yeah. And everyone I knew was a writer or a poet, mainly a poet. And 
frankly, everyone was depressed. The women poets were killing themselves, literally. Um, I didn't relate. I didn't relate and I want something different. I was living with someone at the time um, who wanted to be a screenwriter. I thought maybe I could be a screenwriter. You know, who doesn't think they can be a screenwriter? You know, <laughs> so, and uh, my brother already lived out here. Both my parents divorced, had already lived in LA. Everything was like, move to LA, move to LA. LA. You know, this is it, do it, do it. And um, we did it. We packed a car. We did one of those drive away, drive a car things. Oh, so you've driven across the the whole uh, United States. Yeah, indeed. How was that? Wait, 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 that I've never done that. So it was harrowing. And yeah. there's a word. You know, if you said use harrowing in a sentence, I'd say I pass. But I'm using it. It was harrowing. Yeah. We left. This was stupid. This is just young stupid people. Mm-hmm. But um, right between Christmas and New Year's. That's called the winter. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and not even, not even a little bit of winter. That's like straight in your face winter. Yeah. And uh, so it was romantic and fun. And I remember actually the first night we stayed in Roanoke, Virginia, where I had the best steak of my life. Um, you know, these are things people remember what we ate what something smelled like, you know. And then they also remember driving through a snowstorm where we had to stop and the car in 20 minutes got buried in the snow. Whoa. And then I'll add this to the mix, Tony, but I had just learned how to drive. Yeah. Because I grew up in New York City. Yeah, you don't drive. All you do is flag a cab and get on the bus. Yeah. And... So I learned how to drive in Boston uh, before moving to LA. Uh Failed the driving test three times. And I think the fourth time I had to commit some sexual act with the teacher (laughs) just to give me the goddamn (laughs) license, you know. Now, I just made that up. So (laughs) for all all my fans out there, for my two fans out there, that didn't really happen. Well, that's why you've had four screenplays produced. No, I'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wish. Right. I, I would have done anything for that, but uh, no, it's another sometimes, joke. I, yeah, sometimes I think, like, in certain ways, you know, since I did have something produced, it might have felt better sometimes just to have been a little prostituted instead of, <laughs> instead of the mind fuck of some of the stuff. <laughs> Yeah, right. Instead of working so goddamn hard, exactly. to make it happen. I know, I know. Wait, I just got to suck an ugly man's dick, huh? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> there you go, Tony. You you said it better <laughs> than me. Uh, even though in my case it's two and yours it isn't. But no, that's a joke. So many jokes. Um, so I will say that I was layered in my in my fur coat that was my mother's you know in all the the fur coat the three sweaters under it the and at the very 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 bottom of all of it was a tank top and i'll never forget leaving needles on day whatever four or five heading from needles down to phoenix on january 4th and just 
taking layer after layer off and being in a tank top and it was like 90 degrees in Phoenix and I thought I get this I, I can do this yeah yeah and then LA and uh, a lot a lot a lot of jobs before you know whatever yeah the um the thing about West Hollywood that I noticed when I came to LA because in because in LA in the city of LA they don't have the uh, the lights uh, the cameras for the lights so in the oh. city of LA they can't ding you from a camera if you go through uh, if you you know go through a red if you're going through the yellow a little late but when you get to West Hollywood that's another city in Beverly Hills all those all those cameras are re ready and going so that's one of the first things I learned in LA is when you're in West Hollywood or Beverly Hills if it's yellow slam those brakes on don't get it really I just learned something. I it's yeah. It's, I I look I look for the cheap to the cheap and easy things. I'm just like how can I not how can I not get caught? That's the first thing. I yeah. Do. Well, I didn't know that about the cameras, yeah. but um, but I have lived pretty much in West Hollywood for all the years I've been here. Hmm. I didn't think about it actually till just now, but I started out. Happened is probably pretty amazing because I mean, wasn't West Hollywood a different like years ago or so different. Yeah. And I mean, I, uh, I started on Clark street, which mm -hmm. is up the street from the whiskey. So you're on sunset Boulevard, but down, down there's the whiskey, yeah. which used to be called the whiskey, a go, go. And all the way up this crazy hill that I was scared to death to drive on. Cause I thought my car would go backwards right. was an apartment building on stilts with a swimming pool. You know what they are. Yeah. And we lived in what used to be Deanne Warwick's apartment. Wow. And it was $165 a month. And this was late 70s. Yeah. And there's a swimming pool and it's January. And I've lived in Boston for seven years and grew up in New York City. And I'm thinking, this is heaven. Yeah. And the show Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman was on. And I mean, that's the put it in the time, but um, it was incredible. And I used to walk down the street to the whiskey and you could go sit in there in the middle of the day and anyone, Elvis Costello, anyone might be in there practicing, just rehearsing. Wow. And just like growing up in New York and not realizing how amazing it was, I didn't realize how amazing that was. Yeah. You know, I just thought, well, you know, this is interesting. Yeah. When I think about it now, you know, it was great. And Book Soup, by the way, which we keep coming back to, Book Soup was there. And it was a little store. And um, there was always a cat sitting on the, the stairs. And I used to sit and read po poetry books on the steps of Book Soup. Um, little did I know, you know, 30 years or whatever later, I'd be soliciting people for lines as the Poet Laureate. And you would, and your books would be stocked in there. And my books would be sold in there. That's still a thrill. I will say that's still mm -hmm. a thrill. When I was, when I was a kid, well, when, when I say a kid, when I was in my twenties and finally learned that, you know, oh, there's novels. I can read novels that aren't boring. I used to go see where my name would be in the, every, every bookstore. I'd be like, who would be next to you, Shane? You know, and it was Lawrence <laughs> Durrell. And I was just like, and oh. I found out about him and I was just like, oh, wow. And then, then to see the, to go to a library and see Durrell, Duchesne, just, I was, it oh. just blew my mind. I was, it was, 
otherworldly. That is a mind blower. Yeah. And you don't even think that's you, do you? You can't even believe that's you. Um, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm aware of it. Yeah. I think when, I think when it happened, it was just everything felt surreal. It just yeah. doesn't feel like anything. You're sitting there going, I don't feel different. I thought I thought I was going to be paraded through the streets of San Francisco on a, you know, and, and just everyone be like, oh, and the angels would come down. And it's just like, no. <laughs> yeah, I I I get what you're saying. I I see my books in the store, and I don't, I can't connect to that feeling. I want to. Yeah. It just feels a little, yes, yeah, surreal. But I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I may, it's, uh, yeah, I, it's, I don't, I don't get it either. It's like, even um, when people like say, oh yeah, I, I read your, you know, when they come up to you, you're like, I read your book and you don't know who they are. And it's, and you're just kind of going, oh, that's right. You can read, you, you can connect with me. And I, on a way I can't connect back to you, but it's, it, it's, it never connects. It doesn't. I don't now, now, Tony, I want to read your book. Oh Yeah. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to call Book Soup. I was going to say I'm going to go to Book Soup, but I guess I can't do that right now. I can't wait to look. I think bookstores should be essential workers. I think that they should have. Yeah. They're kind of fighting for that, aren't they? Are they good? Yeah. Yeah. books. And the library open again. Are they open? No, I want them open again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I found out that dentists will be able to open up in the middle of May in case you need one. <laughs> Yay. I think, yeah, I got to get a cleaning pretty soon. I'm keeping up on that lately. Yeah. Kim, thank you so much for coming on Drinks with Tony. It was a pleasure. Next time we'll really have a drink. I know, in person. <laughs> Kim Dower on Drinks with Tony. Check out her book, Sunbathing on Tyrone Power's Grave. Come back next week when we chat with Tommy Vaughn, rock star and writer. And the week after that, Arthur Nersessian discusses his new 1,500-page novel, The Five Books of Robert Moses. Keep reading great books, and if you can't find great books, you're not trying hard enough. I'll see you next Wednesday.